everyone, welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. This week's interview is with Sergey Nesrov, the co-founder of Oracle provider Chainlink. The way blockchain applications get their data has proven to be crucial, as failures in those systems have been at the core of many of the latest attacks in DeFi. He says developers are currently underestimating the complexities of building data aggregators and Oracle systems, and says the only reason these dangerous patterns are not as discussed is because the losses haven't been Mt. Gox level. In this conversation, Nazarov makes the case on why the Chainlink platform is meant to avoid those risks. We also talked about the main trends he's seeing in the space, Chainlink's plans for the coming months, and his vision for a more decentralized future. Stay tuned. All right, here we are with Sergey Nazarov. He's the co-founder of Chainlink. Hi, Sergey. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's interview. Hi, Camila. Nice, um, nice to chat with you. Thank you for having me on the interview. Of course. Um, okay, so uh, I want to start with introducing Chainlink for um, all of our listeners who might not know exactly what it is. I think, you know, if uh, you're interested in DeFi, you've heard about Chainlink, you know, it's um, an Oracle provider, but I want to talk with you about what exactly is the importance of oracles for, for DeFi specifically and how Chainlink um, addresses that, that problem? Sure, sure. Excited, excited to discuss those things. So I, I think the way to look at oracles is that there are contracts that need to interact with external um, data. So they need to know about something that happened about which they are written. So they are, for example, written about uh, a price change, like in a derivative or a futures or some other, some other contract. Or they're an insurance contract that needs to know whether goods were delivered and why they, while they were in transit, they remained frozen. Or they need to know whether there was rainfall to know if they should pay out uh, insurance policy to a farmer. So all of these contracts, these more advanced contracts, require the, the ability to know these things. Mm-hmm. Now, what... People may not know because of the semantics of smart contracts is that despite being called smart contracts, they uh, really should be called tamper-proof digital agreements or something like that because what, what they really do is they create a record and a, and a space to generate um, conditional logic that, uh, that can be written around events. Mm-hmm. But the systems in which smart contracts actually run, various blockchains, you know, take your pick. Uh, do not have the capability to actually know about these events. Mm-hmm. So this is the sense in which something is called an oracle. It's called an oracle um, in the sense that it can know something that the system uh, to which it gives that data cannot know. So it, it is a source of truth. It is a source of kind of, um, yeah, basically truth. And, and uh, in this case, truth about events. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think there's a nuance here around why smart contracts can't access these events. And it's basically because the way that they're secured is by using these independent um, entities called miners that package together transactions and secure those transactions through what's called consensus, which is agreement around the transactions, basically. And if a key input into those transactions is then controllable by one of those miners, you lose a lot of the security guarantees of those transactions because the transactions are considered secure and reliable uh, because they're, they're mined or secured or, or how, however you want to call it by this uh, large independent, uh, large group of independent entities, independent miners. Okay. You in- introduce all kinds of front running issues, you introduce security issues for basically the base layer chain. So I think the first problem to understand is what is the Oracle problem? The Oracle problem is that smart contracts or logic uh, that's executing on these blockchain environments because of the security requirements of a blockchain to provide its value, those same contracts cannot access external data. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is kind of a big wall, a highly secure wall, which is what gives the blockchain its security 
but at the same time precludes the logic inside of that wall to access any information. So, so what would be the point of having a blockchain that's you know, centralized and secure if in the end you're relying on a centralized entity for something as important as um, the data that's triggering contracts? Um, so, so what I've seen that uh, Oracle systems are trying to do to, to solve this issue is have, have a, a system that's also decentralized, that, that, ha that is um, getting their data in, in a decentralized way. And in, 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 in some ways, like, it starts to look a little bit like a blockchain, even if it's not. Like, uh, I know Chainlink uses nodes, uh, which is a concept that you know, we usually um, associate with, with blockchains. So can you explain um, how, more about how Chainlink works and how uh, different Oracle systems are, are trying to solve this issue of, of providing really secure and, and um, you know, yeah, decentralized yeah, uh, data. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I would say that oracles have certain concepts which they borrow from blockchains, mm -hmm. but they are not blockchains. And I think some of the problems people have had is where they've tried to take certain blockchain concepts and they've tried to apply them entirely to oracles and just ignore the difference. So the, mm -hmm. the difference is, for example, that Blockchains have a, of a purposefully limited set of transaction types or contract uh, computational operations they can do. And, and that's all that they can do. And they have certain size limits in their blocks and they have certain limits on what their virtual machine can do. And in certain cases, you know, what type of transactions they can send in UTXO models. Now, what, what Oracle's focus on is they approach an entirely different problem. So they approach the problem of taking non-deterministic, unvalidated, insecure, um, in some cases, untrustworthy, unreliable data mm -hmm. from other places and trying to put it through um, a system that then raises its reliability. Now, the first fundamental difference here is that you're dealing with um, other systems. So you're not creating an encapsulated system that is deterministic and exists and lives in its own universe. You're actually trying to take non-deterministic systems, systems that have these security and reliability issues, and you're trying to, by combining a few of them or, or any, any number of other cryptographic means to validate where data came from, you're trying to make sure that that, that, that data collectively, in many cases collectively, now meets those high standards. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Some people build Oracle systems with something called dynamic membership. Dynamic membership allows random people to just show up and, 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 and mint transactions. We don't really have that approach. The, the approach that we have is you have node operators. Mm -hmm. Those node operators can prove their security and their reliability. Those node operators then form something called a service agreement with a user contract. So on chain, you have a transaction that will commit the node operator to delivering data at a certain level of quality, frequency, and deviation from, from other sources. And how do they prove their reliability, the node operators? So in many cases, it depends on what the, the rest of the world is saying. So mm -hmm. what, what people are meant to do in our system is they're meant to be able to intelligently compose an Oracle network mm -hmm. on the basis of a lot of information about node operators and data providers. Because once again, the situation here is not, I am making um, a subset of computational capabilities and that's all that I'm doing, or I'm making a subset of transaction types. It's really about people being able to choose a specific configuration of oracles, of node mm -hmm. operators, and a specific configuration of data sources. Okay. And for that configuration, for those two configurations, which are both important, mm -hmm. um, to then scale as the value which they control scales. So, so, so this means okay. if I have a contract on a very secure system, let's say Ethereum, thousands and thousands of node operators, um, great, that's, that's a secure system, but let's say the contract only holds $10. Mm -hmm. At that point, I don't necessarily need um, a thousand chain link or oracles in, in general, mm -hmm. right? What I, what I do need to do is I need to match my need for security to my budget 
And that's sometimes determined by the value secured. Sometimes it's determined by the user fees people pay to use a application. And then I want to scale that security on both the data provider, on both the quality of the data mm -hmm. and the node operators that transport the data. Okay. And what our system actually does is the service agreements and a lot of, a lot of other insight that people generate um, on ch not people, but these nodes generate is something that's um, easy to analyze and open. We, we've in fact recently had somebody in our ecosystem launch something called reputation.link, which is an entirely separate team from ours that built a framework to analyze all this data okay. and help people make informed decisions about which are the node operators I want to use. Mm -hmm. um, another, another kind of platform or, or, or category of this is something called market.link, which is also run by a separate team where you can see the certifications that a team has whether it's been security reviewed, whether it's been identity reviewed. And, and generally speaking right now, in our system, we focus uh, pr predominantly on quality of node operators, mm -hmm. and we're slowly expanding the, the amount of node operators. I mean, we, we essentially have hundreds of node operators in different stages of being live or testnet or mainnet, mm -hmm. but our system really focuses on the highest quality node operators, then being composed in these Oracle networks. So th there might be one Oracle network of seven nodes mm -hmm. for one contract, and there might be another Oracle network of 50 nodes for another contract. Okay. And, and so are, is your, does Chainlink approve uh, node operators to have high enough quality to, to join kind of the network or, or who, who approves them? So it, it depends on the different networks. So, so we generally don't approve quality. We have a review that we do of node operators such that the node operator now meets a certain level of quality. There okay. are networks that people can compose those node operators into. There are some networks that we have helped put together to do something like put price data on chain. But you have certain requirements that node operators need to meet in order to start providing uh, data. Yeah, and that once again right. depends on the network. So, so mm -hmm. the, the, the point here is not, we, we are not saying we will have 50,000 um, anonymous people who could really be one person or two mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that. We are saying we have hundreds of extremely reliable entities with extremely high quality um, developer team, develop, DevOps teams mm -hmm. of 10, 15, 20 people that have already successfully secured hundreds of millions, sometimes in some cases, billions of dollars on an on ongoing daily basis. And these teams are premium node operators that we can then compose together with um, other node operators. And we can also select the right data providers. And this doesn't mean that you don't get to thousands of nodes. And it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you don't arrive at thousands of anonymous nodes. It, it just means that if you, if you want a certain level of security, you should be able to make an informed decision about these are the node operators that I need to select sure. to, to reach this level of security. And if I want anonymity, then those are the node operators over there that I want to select. Mm -hmm. And you can combine them or not combine them, but the point is you should have an informed way of doing that, which is essentially what we've built. We've built uh, an informed uh, and a way for users to uh, select high quality oracles and also very soon to also make informed decisions about data quality and data providers. And right now are all of your nodes known like, or are, are some of them anonymous? No, there, there are people that run nodes and we don't know who they like. It okay. depends what you mean by nodes in, in most of the, the, the higher quality networks that provide premium data to, to real applications. Most of those node operators are known. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're teams, they're very large teams, and they're very, very well-run teams. Um, there are many anonymous node operators that people can compose into an Oracle network of anonymous node operators. They, they simply take other risks there. Right. So they take a different set of risks. Yeah, because I, I, I think it's an interesting question because um, there, there's a risk of when you're dealing with a few known uh, nodes that, you know, they, they can be corrupted 
right? They can be susceptible to um, to manipulation and, and so forth. I, I think that's kind of um, the, the the idea of using like a wide uh, network of anonymous nodes. So it's it's harder to corrupt it, right? Right. Yeah. That's part, partly security through obscurity, and and the reality is that other other than that we don't preclude thousands of nodes. Mm -hmm. the, the point is that if somebody wants to compose a network of a thousand anonymous nodes, they can. Mm -hmm. what, what, what we seek to do is we seek to give people choice. Right. And we seek to give them in, an informed, um, an ability to make an informed security assessment. And mm -hmm. to say, I want a hundred nodes of this quality. I want them to be running in three different data centers. So I want a third of the nodes in, in Amazon, a third of them in Azure, and third of them in GCP. And I, and I want all of those different nodes to be um, providing different sets of guarantees. So one set of nodes uses trusted execution environments, one set of nodes use zero knowledge proofs, and one set, set of nodes simply has impeccable you know, historic reputation. So the, I'm, I'm not saying that you don't want many nodes. You do want many nodes. You, you just want that to be at the discretion of users and you want it to scale with the value secured and you want people to make informed decisions about who their node operators should be. Mm -hmm. And if people decide that they want thousands of anonymous nodes that don't have a performance history, don't provide any guarantees, you know, don't do those types of things, then they can do that. Um, if they value anonymity at that high a price and cost of securing something. Right. right. Yeah. It is so a trade off. What, what they'll have to do is they'll have to say, okay, I can't have 50 pseudonymous node operators. That's not going to work. I need over a thousand. Mm. And so they're, they're going to, they're going to end up doing that. And I think there will be use cases that have a portion of their Oracle network that is a pseudonymous or anonymous. And then there'll be um, Oracle networks that are completely that way. Mm -hmm. And they'll all be deployed for different use cases where people want to combine some of these security, um, security dynamics. R right now, the, the right security dynamic seems to be high quality nodes, high quality data providers. Th that's what's really, I think, necessary to provide the, the highest level of data quality to an application. Because right. you, if you have lower quality node operators and they don't deliver data, you could run into problems. Mm -hmm. And this once again goes to the, the difference of the, the difference, the difference of the, of the problem we're solving here. We're really solving about a problem where we, we need a highly reliable, always up uh, kind of middleware mm -hmm. that provides you these guarantees. Yeah. And talking about these problems, I mean, we have seen a few problems recently in, in DeFi um, and some of these have been triggered by, uh, faulty oracles or, or pricing uh, mechanisms. Um, I don't know, like one of the major uh, crashes in, in DeFi happened when MakerDAO's liquidation system broke down and part of it was because pricing, uh, prices weren't updating as, as quickly uh, during the, the time that Ether was, was crashing. Um, then uh, earlier in the year, we saw um, the VCX attacks with flash loans, and I think there, the, the issue was that um, the attacker uh, kind of manipulated uh, the use of, of a Uniswap, or I think it, it was Kyber or, or, or both of, of these texts for, uh, for pricing. Um, so we've seen kind of... Um, less than ideal uh, pricing uh, and, and, and Oracle systems um, trigger attacks in, in DeFi and problems for, for DeFi applications. Um, so how does Chainlink uh, prevent this? I mean, could have uh, yeah, sure. a different Oracle solution uh, prevented these issues or are, are they just kind of innate in, in these uh, DeFi apps? No, no, they're not innate. They're, they're a consequence of architecting an application a certain way. The, 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 the one thing that I can say is that uh, during, during that period that, that, that you've described, um, none of our users had any losses from using our oracles. Mm -hmm. So that's something we can definitively say. 
Now, I, I think the other, um, the other nuance here is that this is a multi-layered problem that seems like it's simple. So it seems like it's simple because people think they basically take their experience from building web applications and they say, I'm going to just do that here. And in web application world, they have a lot of frameworks and a lot of plumbing and, and a lot of infrastructure that's already built to allow them to connect all kinds of ser what they call services, right? Mm -hmm. so there can be a service like Twilio to send an SMS. There can be a service like Google map data to get the location of, of a user or something else. And then there can be a service like Stripe to make a payment. Mm -hmm. now, now, that API infrastructure for data or payments or anything else is, is what oracles are built around and give access to. But I, I think what, what ends up happening in some of the cases you've described and many others that I've seen, some of which are, are, are not exactly public and they don't need to be, they, they, they've luckily educated the people that have, that have been building them is that people ignore, um, I think to their peril, they ignore uh, data quality and they ignore the quality of their node operators and the assurances that their node operators uh, give to users. So there's, there's really these, it's, it's really a, a different problem. Um, I think there's these two approaches that I see to people solving this problem. One approach is I'm gonna take blockchains and I'm gonna replicate everything I do in blockchain land onto oracles. Um, that usually misses the point of the key problem you're solving. The key problem you're solving is um, highly reliable, uh, highly secure, highly available uh, access to external systems, which you don't even know if those systems are secure. So you then also need to start helping deal with that problem. Mm. And uh, so th that blockchain approach, it's, it's just a blockchain, but different is, 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 is one, of the first, uh, one of the first issues. The, the second issue is that and, and this is something we take very, very seriously. And I've done a presentation on recently and I advise anybody building an Oracle mechanism on their own internally or, or whatever system they use to look at very seriously is I've, I've seen one or two Oracle mechanisms where people do not uh, take into account data quality. Mm -hmm. So they, they basically ignore the fact that their in traditional finance is a large group of data companies like Bloomberg, Reuters, and others mm -hmm. that are hugely um, successful companies in hugely competitive markets because they smooth out risks related to data. And what people that say, um, there's people that basically say, I'm going to completely ignore all the risks from data. I'm going to both make a data aggregation methodology and I'm going to build an Oracle mechanism. So I'm going to do both. I'm going to create a data company and I'm gonna create a piece of software that's meant to provide security about the transportation of data. Mm -hmm. And then they proceed to go and essentially create a data aggregation service or a data, which is what amounts to a data company. Mm -hmm. And in the creation of that data company, they begin to make um, all the mistakes that people who have never made a data company make, mm -hmm. which is why we don't do that. So okay. we do not um, actually, generate the data. We, okay. we go to data providers, such as the ones that sell crypto data to Bloomberg and Reuters to power their systems and all the mm. systems they sell into. And we take that high quality data and we leave that problem with truly experienced, multiple decades of experienced data, data quality, data aggregation teams for crypto prices and other, other categories of data. And we focus on the proper transport of that data with the maximum amount of guarantees that it came from where it came from, it's gonna keep coming at a predetermined set of conditions and the, the Oracle will in certain cases soon be able to guarantee with a deposit or staking that it will arrive, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think these, these issues are, 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 are issues that have flown under the radar a little bit. Like the fact that we're talking about these issues now is due to um, some kind of failure, which I'm not happy about. Um, I, I think that people who build these systems should seriously consider what set of problems they want to solve. They should understand the full depth of the problem they're solving. And they should seriously consider if they want to solve a data quality problem, which is its own problem, and then the data transport Oracle problem. 
we, for example, don't solve the data quality problem. We go to people that solve it, and then we, we combine the efforts of those people in a single system that seeks to minimize the risk of that problem. Mm-hmm. So, so we only work with the highest quality data providers. I'll, I'll tell you some of the things I've seen, which, which absolutely, you know, confuse me. I've, I've seen people say that I'm going to go to two exchanges and those exchanges are going to define what market price is for this asset. And then I've seen another third exchange show up mm-hmm. and get all the volume and therefore, the two exchanges they have integrated into their Oracle system are now representing a very small percentage of the volume, mm. which is very easy to manipulate by people living without any technical experience. Just a trader can go into those environments and manipulate the prices in, in those exchanges. Right. And the, the reason that that isn't, that isn't the clear issue is because the people who, who put together that architecture, they don't run a data company. They, they don't have pager duty alerts when volume shifts mm. to another exchange that which creates this large kind of existential risk. And the, the folks that, that we work with, they've come to appreciate this risk and, and realize that you need a secure data transport layer and you need secure data providers. Other, other things I've seen that very much concern me is we're going to use a single exchange to, to define price. How can you predict what the volume of that exchange will be, especially for certain asset classes or, or tokens that are thinly traded? But what I'm, what I'm talking to you really about is these generalizable patterns where I think the only reason these, gen, these very dangerous patterns are, are not as, um, as discussed is because the losses have not been Mount Gox level. Right. And I think that it's very possible that somebody who nonchalantly just says, hey, you know, I'm just going to use one exchange and it, it'll be fine for some, some category of tokens, finds themselves in a situation where the, the possible losses they incur, especially if, token, if crypto values rise, and especially if um, DeFi, you know, the amount secured in, a, in one or another DeFi application rises, they could find themselves in a situation where some home-baked Oracle or something where they're taking on three or four problems that, that you know, are very difficult to solve problems that require double-digit teams of, of experienced people and they can hardly solve them. Right. Um, results in, a, in the type of loss that then colors the whole DeFi space in a bad light. Yeah. And, and this is what I think people should seriously avoid. So they can use whatever Oracle mechanism they feel comfortable with. But I, I think it's not as simple. I think what people should understand is it's not as simple as I'm going to just connect to an API and I'll be okay. Or it's not a big deal. It's just some, it's like a blockchain, you know, whatever. It's, it, it, it's you giving control of, of an application you built to another set of systems through, through so you, you, you have more risk. You, you have the middleware and you have the systems you're con- connecting mm-hmm. to. If you don't manage both of those risks properly and you don't have a framework for that, you, you'll either have to devote a huge amount of resources to managing those risks, both of them, hopefully both of them, or you're going to experience a failure. And that's what we help people avoid. Uh, that's really what we do is we allow people to quickly build a DeFi application without making these, these design decisions of like, I'm just going to have one exchange, which is going to completely control my contract. And, and, you, and you, can, you, you can ask them, you can say, hey, what happens if that exchange suddenly becomes thinly traded? Do you have um, pager duty alerts to let you know that this Oracle system you set up is now exposed and it, it'll only cost $100,000 to manipulate the price um, input into your DeFi contract, which is irreversible and people could take money from and you'll never get returned? Um, you now know, it's and, easier than ever to do with flash loans. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a kind the, the environment is making these things easier yeah. and, and people are, are looking, are looking at this problem as if it's, um, it's something they can solve with web development experience or, or, uh, you know, I built web services before. This is a data quality problem, which is mm-hmm. complicated. And it is a security problem, which is complicated. Right. 
So I guess the main issue, that the root of the issue that we're seeing in, in the latest attacks is people underestimating um, the difficulty of creating good data aggregators. Um, I'm thinking, you know, they, no, they, it's they it's their it's their misunderstanding that that these some of these people don't even know that there are data like in the financial world there are data companies right that that are massively successful because they manage a very large portion of risk related mm -hmm. to this and ignoring that you know those factual ideas is 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 very very dangerous in my opinion and it, it just hasn't blown back because either the numbers aren't high enough or somebody's waiting to exploit a system like that or or maybe there's other targets that are higher on people's target lists but i i really wouldn't underestimate either data quality or the quality of an oracle mechanism and taking on both of those problems simultaneously building a data company for various types of data and building a highly secure oracle mechanism like I said, we've built a mechanism where we focused on security and provability, and we, we're very lucky to work with top data providers, and we're working with as many of them as we can and more and more of them uh, to make sure that the people generating high-quality data that triggers these contracts is coming from a place where people have experience and, um, and actual secured systems uh, uh, to to minimize risks like, you know, that's that market coverage risk or those manipulation attacks yeah. or, or even a whole bunch of other attacks, which people haven't experienced yet, mm -hmm. which, you know, once we explain those on, on, on deeper integration calls, that's why I think people end up going with us is because we don't hand wave away these problems. We, we go to them and we tell them, look, you have a serious um, attack vector here. You have attack surface area. You can secure it or we can secure it. But somebody needs to secure it because, you know, imagine the price of crypto goes up into the right. And then imagine the amount of value locked in DeFi goes up into the right. That's the only reason some of these Oracle issues haven't been front page news mm -hmm. is because the numbers have been sufficiently low. So, so say that the numbers do increase um, in value log prices, whatever, um, number of users. Do you think it looking at how DeFi is secured right now, is it, is it safe enough for, for it to, to, I don't know, tomorrow blow up? Um, I, I tend not to comment publicly on, on other people's applications. I, I just, I don't tend to do those things. I can tell you some general principles and I can this, I'm always glad to describe to people the security dynamics they should be aware of. Um, I think people should very seriously consider whether this is a simple, easy problem or whether it's a problem with multiple depths of complexity that they discover as they get into it and, and whether they want to put the fate of their entire system in the hands of something that doesn't even know there are certain risks out there based mm -hmm. on how it's architected. Right. So that's a serious consideration I would recommend people make. If, if you could uh, pick kind of one underlying risk, uh, security, or like attack vector that, that you've seen that's been underestimated in, in DeFi, like is there, is there um, one danger that, that you've seen kind of lurking that hasn't really been addressed? Y yeah, pe people have... There's people that have Oracle systems where they can't even use a password protected API. This means that they can only use APIs or data sources that are free. Mm. They can only use sources of data that are free to use or on a trial plan. And, mm. and they want people to trigger hundreds of millions of dollars from trial plan data where nobody has made a commitment to maintain quality. Mm. So I, I have seen people completely hand wave this away and say either it doesn't, data quality doesn't matter. And, and we don't do that. What we do is we only use high quality data providers and then we actually require node operators to guarantee delivery of data to user contracts. Mm -hmm. And soon we're gonna be adding staking onto that to, to make sure that the, the guarantee a node operator gives is actually crypto economically 
also secured so that if that guarantee isn't, so not only is the data quality there to the node operator, but then the data transport from the node operator to an aggregation contract or to a user contract is, 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 is formalized and, and attached to real value that a node operator would lose if they deviated from those commitments. But I, I think the, the issue here is that there are people basically saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a data company, it's not hard. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna right. make an Oracle mechanism, it's not hard. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's so easy to do both of them that I'm gonna just make both of them and I'm gonna do it on a weekend because you know that's easy. And I, I think that the people that are doing that and the people that are, that are relying on, 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 on that, if values go up and DeFi applications go higher on people's target lists as a result of this, these are, these are serious exploits. Mm. And, and they become more and more serious as you add other forms of data like if you add some token that's thinly traded, so less less traded than Bitcoin or Ethereum, mm -hmm. you don't even need a computer science background. You just need to know that they pull data from one exchange. Right. You need to go on that one exchange, manipulate the price, use a UI interface. That that is how. So this this is a very serious problem. Um, mm -hmm. And and then the the other corollary to this is sometimes people say, let's combine high quality data with low quality data. So let's combine one Oracle with another Oracle. One Oracle provides high quality data. The other Oracle provides low quality data from a trial plan API. And then they're surprised when we, when we say, we don't understand what you're saying. You're saying, let's reduce data quality by combining one Oracle with another Oracle. And if you allow lower quality systems to overwrite higher quality systems. So I, I think this is just really due to the nature of people think this is an, uh, a security and engineering problem only, and it is not. It is a security and engineering problem on the Oracle mechanism side, but it is really also a data quality problem that needs to be very well reasoned about. And just coming, and you know, there's even people that come up with all kinds of methodologies for generating a price and then they say, here's a methodology for, for generating a price uh, against, um, against my system and you should rely on that. And it's a methodology which will inherently generate the wrong value in, in, in cases where there's large swings in price, mm -hmm. like Black Thursday. And despite it being shown to many people that like here is a data methodology that if there's a, an event like Black Thursday, this data methodology will give you a value of $100 when the mm -hmm. current market price is like $50. And I can actually backwards analyze data mm -hmm. and prove to you that this methodology would have gotten you that price. And, and your system would have been somebody, someplace somebody can just raid because you literally are, are giving, giving away cryptocurrency half off um, in your system because you use this pricing mechanism. And I, 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 think, I think this is the, this is the biggest, uh, not the biggest, but this is one of those issues which we've architected for from the beginning mm -hmm. and which people ignoring, and this is some of the ones that you mentioned, that's part of the issue they had is that I, yeah, Camille, I don't know why I'm getting so involved in this conversation on this call. I guess you're just asking <laughs> thoughtful questions, but I, I think if you were to ask me what's the significant issue that people have, I would say it's that they have taken on often two problems that are both extremely complex and they can work with us or they can do it themselves, but they should really, really make sure that they are secure on these both dimensions, both course. of these dimensions. Yeah, um, no, super interesting and something that uh, I, I think uh, these projects are, DeFi has been learning from, from these attacks and hopefully, you know, moving forward. Um, so shifting a little bit, you know, you, you work with, with uh, different projects uh, that are building on, on different blockchains, not, not just Ethereum. So I want to get a, first a gauge on how many projects are you working with on, on Ethereum and on, on other blockchains? And also interested on, on your view since you have kind of maybe of like a bird's eye view of uh, development on different blockchains. How is DeFi um, gaining steam or not on uh, non-Ethereum 
uh, blockchains with what you, you've seen with your clients? So yeah, so j just to clarify about Chainlink, we are blockchain agnostic and we, we really seek to make smart contracts succeed mm -hmm. as a mechanism for making decentralized financial products, decentralized insurance and those types of things. We, we don't have a blockchain of our own. We, we, don't, um, we don't make our own DeFi products mm -hmm. so that we don't compete with our users, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, we really focus on creating a, a shared open source, uh, a, glo a globally shared resource that's open source for, for people to get data onto all of these environments. Now, what I'm, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of the same patterns in different environments. I'm seeing that most environments, they want a stable coin. Most environments, they want a lending capability. Mm -hmm. Many environments, they want, um, they want a derivatives product. I'm seeing certain teams replicate whatever they've built on one environment and then decide I'm gonna also replicate that on another environment. I'm seeing other teams in, in those blockchains do that sooner than the team that's generated that initial product on one environment and not another, right? What I'm, what I'm generally seeing is I'm, I'm seeing uh, many, many different communities of people uh, all sitting under different flags around governance or certain features in a blockchain mm -hmm. and, and uh, building out uh, basically DeFi, gaming, decentralized insurance in that mm -hmm. order, right? So these, these are really the, the, the three fastest growing markets I see in general. Decentralized financial products, um, stuff around lending, stuff that gets mm -hmm. you returns on your cryptocurrency that you already own. Uh, derivatives, I think, is, is, has a very bright future due to the guarantees blockchains provide there. Then gaming. Gaming is mm -hmm. another very large category. In, in gaming, we recently released um, a randomness generation capability, right. uh, something called Chainlink VRF that allows smart contracts on various blockchains to acquire a source of randomness mm -hmm. that they can prove to their user is random. Mm -hmm. And this is important because that's one of, that's often the only input into many games is they need to guarantee to their users that they're not being cheated by the game. And, and you're, you're working with Pool Together, right? As kind of the, the first uh, project that use, that's using this system. Yeah, yeah. Pool Together is, is one, of the, one of the folks we're working with on this first. I think they're a very um, intelligent, kind of well-informed uh, well team. And, and we, we showed this to them as one of the first people that we wanted to, to really get a benefit from it and use it. Mm -hmm. And they were kind enough to give us lots of different feedback. And it's been great collaborating with them. Uh, we have a number of other people now that are, that are also looking to use it, starting to use it. I, I think the way we view it is, is that our role is really to provide inputs and, and into these blockchains so that people can then build all kinds of exciting things around those inputs. Right. I, I, for example, wouldn't have come up with something like Pool Together where you have a savings account that pays out interest to a winner. That's mm -hmm. just an extremely creative thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of stuff that as we put more inputs like randomness, like price data, like weather data, we, we are likely to see more and more um, very creative things like that built. I think that's what really the entire space is depending on. Yeah. Um, no, and, and it, it's really interesting to have this concept of provable randomness, um, which is, of course, especially useful for, for games. And, you know, before having all these applications on blockchains, I don't think people would have ever even kind of questioned or, or wondered about, okay, like, can I actually verify that this number is random like when you when you buy a lottery ticket you just assume that you know whatever number one uh, was random um but you know it's great that uh, blockchain technology can actually give you the tools to to actually verify um these games and i think it's a really kind of i don't know breakthrough um yeah. in in this technology so um but uh, okay, so back again uh, to, to my question on, on DeFi on non-Ethereum platforms. Um, which blockchain do, do you see that's kind of gaining steam in, in, in decentralized um, finance applications, if any? Like if, if you, you'd have to, like, is there like a second runner up after Ethereum that's like really kind of leaving the rest behind in DeFi or are they all kind of 
equally active? I mean, I, I think it's hard for me to say because we, we try not to play favorites. W once again, we, we don't have a chain of our own, so we don't compete with yeah. blockchains. We don't make DeFi products to compete with users of our Oracle mm -hmm. system. We, we really try to take an impartial tone and we try mm -hmm. to help everybody build a great contract. Okay. So uh, it's, it's very difficult for me to say who, who is a leader here or, or there. I, I do know that there are a number of chains that aren't live yet. Mm -hmm. And those chains are are in development and and going you know, going out to be live. I also know there's a lot of interesting stuff in ETH two, and realistically, I, I I don't really make a lot of predictions on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Our our goal from from our side is really to enable people who want to build financial products, decentralized insurance, um, uh, fraud proof gaming. Mm -hmm. And to do that in, in the multitude of different environments that they want to do that in, right. the, the other benefit to that is actually that all the, all, the, all the usage and all the fees from all those environments eventually gets aggregated into one middleware system that is, is then supporting a large collection of nodes. And in fact, the one thing I would say is that the more blockchains we do integrate, the more attractive it becomes for data providers to provide data through Chainlink. Because they suddenly have a larger universe. So instead of integrating with one blockchain or two blockchains, they can use that same or even less effort to integrate with Chainlink and suddenly be on 50 blockchains mm -hmm. or, or, or even more. And that's, um, that's really where we have a certain impartiality and we, we really want to be supportive of, uh, I think, a lot of people that make blockchains and, and run those projects. We, I th and, and, and in our case also, I think we really... I, I'm really a big fan of our space that we have this collective goal of getting this technology to a new a new level of usefulness, and mm -hmm. that's a that's a end in and of itself. That's a goal. That's that's a that's a valuable outcome in and of itself. Yeah. And I I, th I just view everybody as sharing that goal, kind of. Okay, and then on that line, I wanted to ask you about your um, you you also integrated or started working with um, Celsius, right? You're you're mm -hmm. providing uh, or, uh, uh, oracles to, to them, and, and they're obviously not DeFi, um, they're CeFi, so uh, what do you see, um, I mean, do you see a trend in, in which more uh, centralized um, uh, applications uh, are, are moving into more decentralized options? I mean, Celsius continues to be centralized, but maybe by integrating um, Chainlink, they're trying to become more more decentralized? Are, are you seeing more of these uh, projects uh, ha have this um, interest? Yeah, many more. We're, we're, we're seeing, uh, what I'm basically seeing is, is two th things, but before that, I, I just like to mention about Celsius. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Celsius is a very competent, very experienced team of people, which is only underscored by their massive success. So they have I think over 600 million lots and lot. They have huge amounts of, of value secured by their system. Mm -hmm. And I think the approach that they took is not that they don't like decentralization, but that they wanted to provide a certain set of guarantees first and a subsequent set of guarantees second and then third. Okay. And so they, they had a very clear outline in their minds of, I want to provide these guarantees first and foremost, like private key security, for example. Mm -hmm. And then I want to provide second set of guarantees and third guarantees. So I, I don't think they've ever been against decentralization. I, I think there's a lot of teams like that. And I think there's even non-crypto institutions that are like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the nuance with what, with what we do and why we're able to work, work well with them and, and many others like them is that we provide an incremental third option. So what I, what I mean by that is that in, in many cases, whether it's crypto native firms that have huge amounts of value that have built quickly and gotten that value because they've built quickly and are now seeking to decentralize to provide those guarantees, mm -hmm. or whether it's a non-crypto firm that wants crypto guarantees for their users, there has been usually only two paths. There has been the centralized path and the decentralized path. Mm -hmm. And it's been wholesale all in on one or the other. So it's been either... I make centralized systems, I get security experts, I, I lock down you know, this or that uh, through hardware, and I, I generate um, security registers and security workflows and procedures. Or I don't do that, I, I make some 
smart contract in Solidity and I get it audited five times or not five, but however many times. Mm -hmm. And now I have the guarantees of that. And there has been this um, kind of polarization and many, many CIOs, CTOs, lead architects, senior developers have, think, have thought they only have these two options. Now, the reality is even with Celsius, what we're doing is we're, we're able to provide a third option. And the third option is let's incrementally take portions of your system that can be decentralized first, such as the price data feed. Mm. Let's, let's use um, our ability to successfully decentralize your relationship with, with, with whatever other system and slowly decentralize more and more of your system. Okay. So it's, it's not about, I have to wholesale, take my system and turn it into smart contracts, which is mm -hmm. a difficult proposition based on the state of smart contracts today. Or, and it's not, you know, I go for my decentralized guarantees to completely centralized, which realistically few people are doing because if you're taking the effort to make a decentralized system, usually don't go in the other direction. Um, I, I think it's this third path. I think this path is, is very attractive because it doesn't require a huge investment. Mm -hmm. It allows people to use their existing system and it allows them to gradually provide decentralization guarantees. So in Celsius's case, it's proving the decentralization of inputs. It's proving the decentralization of outputs because they pay out in crypto very often, right? And now you have more um, decentralized systems-based proofs, mm. proof of, of what is actually both um, triggering and resulting from this system. Our, our goal is, is never to replace a blockchain and it's, it's, it's always to augment the dynamics on a blockchain. And by making that easier to do, we, we accelerate what people will do on a, on a blockchain mm -hmm. because it, it'll now become easier for them to, to take even something that's computed in their system and put it onto a blockchain or take a price, um, price data point and put it on a blockchain and use that to, to generate an outcome in their system. And then their system's ability to deviate is very minimal because the output of the system is in a decentralized system like Bitcoin and the input of a system is in a decentralized system like Ethereum. Mm -hmm. I, I think the way to view this is, is actually that it b brings much more value in many more firms that would have taken much longer to get on a decentralized um, computational system like Ethereum or somewhere else to gradually begin to use some part of those systems guarantees right. in, in their architecture. Okay, so I, we need to be wrapping up, um, but I definitely want to hear about what's coming up with uh, Chainlink for the rest of the year um, or in the next year. So what are some of the most exciting things that I, you're working on? Yeah, so I, I think the way that this is progressing for us is we're, we're doing relatively well at providing high quality data to DeFi applications. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to continue to maintain that as a, as a chief focus to make sure that decentralized financial products that are, are built in, in these various blockchain environments get high quality data, um, eventually get those that data with increasingly large guarantees. Those guarantees are things like service agreements so that... Mm -hmm. You, user contracts define uh, the quality and the frequency of the data uh, that's delivered to them and that's committed to by, by oracles. Um, a corollary to that will be staking. So the ability for node operators to make sure that if, 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 if users require that of them, which I think in, in many cases they will, they will uh, be able to basically make a deposit or put up stake against mm -hmm. a very clearly laid out set of conditions that relates to, to data quality, relates to the delivery of data on which these contracts are so dependent. Okay. Um, beyond that, we've now started uh, providing randomness through Chainlink VRF, which okay. as you mentioned, is a very significant improvement on a blockchain game's ability to provide the full set of guarantees that it seeks to provide because once again, those games are literally 50% smart contract, 50% randomness. Mm -hmm. And so the randomness and the guarantees around it is equally important as, as the contract code in, in that case. 
So we, I put that in the bucket of increasing inputs. So we're going to be focusing on DeFi and high quality data for DeFi as mm -hmm. a chief focus. We're going to be increasing the amount of inputs in terms of randomness, weather data, various other type of data. Mm. We're going to be making deeper integrations with data providers so that data providers in many cases already do run, run a node of their own. But we're going to try to transition more to a model where data providers that are seeing usage and are seeing an economic reason to run a node now do run a node. Mm. And we, 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 I think we'll be seeing more of that. We, we'll also be moving more more towards various blockchain environments. So to, yeah. to make sure that all the, all the integrations on these various environments um, allow the developers there to receive high quality data, high quality randomness, mm -hmm. high quality ra various other inputs. And then uh, I think what that'll all end up really feeding into is the ability for Chainlink to be used by enterprises of any size to very efficiently and at a high uh, level of security guarantees, interoperate with all kinds of chains and accelerate their adoption of whatever blockchain they want to use in private or public form mm -hmm. because they can now have this third incremental decentralization path without having to build an entire development team around blockchain A and then finding out that they don't actually want blockchain A, they want blockchain B, new development team, oops, blockchain B wasn't the one, new development team, oops, blockchain C. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what we're trying to, to really get to is that public chains have a massive growth in DeFi because DeFi applications can be built and launched quickly as they already have been with us. Mm -hmm. After launching, they re remain secure from an Oracle point of view as they have been since launching with us in, in multiple cases. And that'll generate a growth in public chain DeFi. Um, after that, uh, blockchain gaming, I think, will grow. Mm -hmm. After that, I think due to the nature of the insurance industry, the decentralized insurance industry will grow. Mm -hmm. And then once you see enough um, crypto startups, fintechs, and suretechs have a moderate amount of success in those verticals, then you'll see a very concerted effort from enterprises to seek to generate the products that those crypto startups and fintechs and suretechs are using to eat away at their user base. Mm -hmm. And at that point, those enterprises will have a very concrete need to compete. Interesting. And their requirement to compete in this new environment where the commerce is conducted with their users mm -hmm. will make uh, an immediate demand for how do I compete? How do I compete against the 15 um, insurance products on 10 different chains? How, how do I, as an enterprise that doesn't have a single crypto developer ship, and this will, by the way, only, this will be the lucky enterprises mm -hmm. that realize that, you know, this is the future. The, and, and many of the crypto startups and other ones by then will be huge and, and they will be highly successful in my opinion. And, and that's what I want to see more, um, more than anything else is I want to see people who built a really high quality decentralized financial product to, to succeed at a massive scale mm. because they, they were able to make a, a highly successful decentralized financial product using infrastructure like Ethereum, like Chainlink, um, that allowed them to focus on making that financial product, not on building 50 pieces of infrastructure that um, they thought were easy, but turned out to be hard and then caused the failure and then right. stretched their resources too thin. And, oh, look, you know, we have a competitor and that competitor beat us because we didn't focus on making the financial product we should have focused on. Mm -hmm. you, you want to en enable those, those projects by being a, a key part of the infrastructure to, right. to make them thrive right. and survive. And, and, and it's interesting, this vision of the future that you have where... Um, blockchain-based applications end up eating into the traditional um, world. Uh, because I, I ask this question a lot, whether Absolutely. you know it'll be um, DeFi taking over traditional finance or whether they'll, they'll kind of coexist. And I, I've gotten kind of mixed um, responses, but um, I, your, your vision is, is really interesting um, of yeah. DeFi kind of eating the world, which is how I end uh, this podcast always. Um, and I, I believe it as well. Um, I think this system is, is just way better than the old one. So um, it'll end up winning out. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think the only, the only nuance is that everybody can participate. So there, yeah. there will be firms that wake up and realize that this is the way that their financial contracts with users, with their policyholders, with um, you know, their gaming customers should ideally work. Right. And those people will succeed too. So I, I don't, mm -hmm. I, I, think it's, I think it's a matter of how good of a product do the people who are early make and then how many people that have an institution uh, really understand the impact this will have on them. Mm -hmm. And there are actually exogenous factors in the economy and in the markets that will speed that up or slow that down. Right. But I, I do agree with you that eventually we will be in a world where the contract that I have with an institution or, or some kind of financial financially backed financial product will will be as bulletproof as technology can make it mm -hmm. and the people that do not have tamper proof um highly reliable financial contracts will i think find themselves in a very difficult situation and i i, I that, that i genuinely believe and i think it, it is actually a huge benefit to everybody that, that that's the way the world would work yeah, I agree. Oh, this has been such an interesting conversation, Sergey. Um, unfortunately, we'll have to end it, but on, on a really positive uh, thought and, and vision for the future. So uh, really, thank you for taking the time um, to talk to me. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Camilla. Thank you for having me on the, on the show, and it's, it's great chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.